Well, hey there. My name is Pastor Tim, and you have found my podcast. I currently serve as the pastor of First United Methodist Church of Fort Pierce, Florida, and I'm so grateful to be able to connect with you in this way. This podcast is a collection of my sermons and teachings that I hope you will use to deepen and strengthen your connection with Jesus Christ so that you might go and transform the world around you. So kick back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. And so he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and he traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and he went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, and he put his arms around him, and he kissed him. And then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And then get the fatted calf and kill it. And then let us eat and celebrate, for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field. When he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called to one of the slaves and asked, what was going on? He replied, your brother has come home and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all of these years I have been working like a slave for you. And I've never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fatted calf for him? Then the father said to him, 
Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost, and he has been found. Perhaps you've heard this parable of Jesus a time or two or 200. It's certainly on his greatest hits album, right? <laughs> the thing about greatest hits is they never get old. They always meet you where you're at, you know? And that's, that's, that's how I feel about this story. Like, no matter where I'm at in the various stages and, and seasons of my own life, I always meet with this parable right where I'm at. And I think it's because I, I see myself, I find myself in all three of the main characters. Sometimes I get to be the father, right? Welcoming people back into my life with forgiveness for what has transpired between us in the past. I'm also a real father of a two-year-old, so I get to do this like 68 times a day starting at 6 a.m. when he starts banging around and making all kinds of tantrums, right? More often than I care to admit, though, I can be the older brother. Take the self-righteous stance, you know, really needing the gut check of this story and the, the person of Christ and what they have to offer me because deep down, I need to remind it, be reminded of this fact. <laughs> Most of the time, I'm the younger son, the prodigal son, the one who, who walked away and continues to walk away from time to time, the one who squandered very good gifts the one who is still capable of taking what has been given to me and misusing it or underutilizing it. And I'm going to just take a chance here and say that I don't stand in front of this room alone in this. Amen? Amen. All right. Oh, it's okay. It's tough being the prodigal one. But there's really good news for us when we are. And that good news is, is the grace of a loving God who is there. The good news of that is that we are always welcomed home into God's house. And the even better news or, or the icing on the cake of the good news of that is that we are celebrated when we show up back home. We're not shamed when we arrive. Today we continue in a series called Good Grace, which we're looking at just the activity of God through the Holy Spirit and how it intersects with human life in order to accomplish God's will for all humans, which is to turn us disobedient, sinful folks into people who reflect the original righteousness and the original plan that God 
had and continues to have for us. Jesus' disciples once asked him after he laid out a very difficult path, then who can be saved? Who can be saved, Jesus? Who can do it? And Jesus said, brothers, sisters, friends, here's the thing. For mortals, it is impossible. But not for God. For God, all things are possible. And, you know, what this tells us is that it is God's action and it is God's prerogative that allow for us to come face to face with the saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And that activity, as we discussed at length last week, begins from the moment that every single human being is conceived in their mother's womb. The grace of God draws us to a moment in which we are faced with a decision, a decision that can and will change our lives forever. See, through the gift of provenient grace, that, that grace that goes before we even know that God's working in our lives, God is consistently nurturing us, raising us up, preparing us, and convincing us that we are in need of something else, something different than what the world has been offering us for our whole lives. We're shown sometimes gradually and sometimes abruptly and rudely that we are in need of something different. The son in Jesus' story, the younger son, came to this realization while he was wallowing starving in a pig pit in a distant land. He said to himself, like, I know, I know that there is more to life than this. And so he made a decision to make the trek back home and to throw himself at the mercy of his father, hoping to just become a slave, a hired hand in his father's house. And what he received was, was something far more than he expected, far more than he wagered. And when we talk about God's grace in this moment of our own personal faith journey, often the, the moment that we good evangelical folks call being born again or getting saved, we are talking about what happens in that moment when we are simultaneously faced with the reality of our own sin and the face of the God who deeply loves us. And what happens in this moment is that we come to a turning point in our lives. Having been thoroughly convinced of our sin, we open ourselves up to what is known as justifying grace. This is the grace that begins to change us forever. This is the grace that comes into our lives when we say some variation of that old prayer. Like, I'm a sinner. I recognize it. I give up. Jesus, I believe that you can save me, and I put my whole trust in your grace. 
For John Wesley, who is the theological founder of Methodism, justifying grace included two separate but equal activities, two separate but equal parts. And the first part is what uh, technical theological minds who write really boring books call forensic justification. That sounds like a legal term, right? You all watch forensic files and CSI and stuff, yeah. Well, it sounds like a legal term because it is a legal term. And I know that this is like about to sound very much dehumanizing. It really takes the wind out of the sails of this like really spiritual and wonderful, magical, most beautiful thing that happens in the life of every single person who calls on the name of Jesus. But, you know, we're human beings. We got to try and figure things out. And this is what we have come up with in order to try and explain what happens when we allow Christ into our lives. You see, when we're living our lives prior to that moment, prior to conversion, in our inherited state of disobedience, we're subject to what is called the law of sin and death. And without getting too deep into the weeds here, it means that we are fully liable for the consequences of our rebellion against God. Those consequences are death, both spiritual and physical. This was what God warned Adam about, like, don't eat from that tree, you know, or otherwise you surely will die. And then they ate from the tree and they got to live in the consequences of that action. And this is because God is a God of justice. God does what he says he's going to do. And God allows human beings to accept the consequence of sin. Do this and you will die. We're allowed to accept the consequence of sin until we ask for help. So what happens when we repent of our sin and surrender our lives to Christ is that we accept a gift that was given to us. See, a lot of things happened on the cross, but the most pertinent for this discussion is that Christ became the atoning sacrifice for sin. Christ died to deal with the consequences of sin, to deal with death once and for all for any who choose to trust in his grace. And what that means is that when we accept the free gift, we are freed from the law of sin and death. We become not only not guilty, but a step farther than that. We become innocent. Justifying grace makes it so that it's just as if we never sinned. Some have used the metaphor of moving from a courtroom to a family room. Not only being, having our case dismissed by the judge, but then the judge adopting us all and bringing us home to be our father or our mother. Paul puts it like this. This comes from Romans chapter 8. He says, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that 
the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so the next part of justifying grace is what we call new birth. This is the spiritual change that occurs inside of us. And what new birth is, is what I like to just simply call a transformed life. This happens to us so that we are, innate, we are enabled to fully live out the life of a disciple of Jesus. This happens to us so that we can live in a way that deeply embodies the theological truth that we are the image of God in the world. Now, this is all a process that occurs over a lifetime, and that's kind of the subject of another day. But the transformed life, or as some call it, the regenerated heart, is one in which our heart is turned towards seeing and loving God and our neighbors in a new and unfathomable way, a way that our old self would not even be able to recognize. For John Wesley, this moment took like a long time to occur from the time of his forensic justification. For most, it's quicker. And the hope is that it happened and happens quickly for us here. But everyone is on their own timeline. The regenerated heart, the transformed life, is what kickstarts the rest of our Christian journey. When we encounter the justifying grace of God and say yes to Jesus, we are given the thing that God has been trying so diligently to restore in humanity for all of our history, original righteousness. And this righteousness comes to us not because all of a sudden we are perfect in every way. This righteousness comes to us through the righteousness of Christ. His status as blameless and righteous becomes our status as blameless and righteous. We are restored to our former state, the state before sin entered this world and our lives. And the rest of our lives is meant to be spent trying to live up to that status that we've been freely given. Which, by the way, is still impossible for mortals. But the good news is that for God, all things are possible, and we don't go at it alone. Justifying grace shows us that God is for us. God is for us because since the very beginning of time, he has created a means for sin to be dealt with. Through the sacrificial system in the Torah and its culmination through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, we have been granted new life. The law of sin and death has been replaced for us by the law of spirit and life. The law of sin and death has been interrupted by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, the scriptures say that in our conversion and in our baptism, we die and rise with Christ. The old is gone. We are made new. But not just made new for our short stint here on earth. Made new for eternity. Jesus didn't just conquer your spiritual death 
that came through sin. Jesus conquered physical death as well. The bodily resurrection of Christ signals a new future for all of us. The end hope that we wait for is that we will physically rise and rule and reign on this earth with Christ when he returns. We will have an earthly, eternal life. The law of sin and death is no more. But maybe, maybe all this talk of the future might be on what really matters in the here and now to you. You're like, Tim, I'm just trying to understand a God a little bit better today than I did yesterday. And I get that. We get into the weeds when we talk about all of this deep theological stuff. But you'll be happy to know that there's a lot more weeds that I did not show you. Okay? This could have gone on for a long time. And that's because people have been trying to understand and explain the saving grace of God for like, well, forever, okay? So here's the deal. Here's, here's the, the Cliff Notes version. The younger son, the prodigal son, the son is us. The son is you and the son is me. We are given this gift of life here on God's green earth, and in one way or another, we blow it. We don't love one another. We don't even love ourselves. We don't love God. We run in the direction that we want to go, and on our way there, we squander our gift on selfish living. Maybe, maybe we lie, maybe we, we cheat or, or we steal or we just gossip. We disrespect people or we, we treat them like they don't exist or they aren't important. Whatever it is, we've, we've all got our thing, we've all got our vices, we've all got some cleaning up to do. We all at some point in our lives have declared our allegiance to a kingdom other than God's to a kingdom of our own making where we're the king or the queen. But the invitation to come home is always open. There's nothing stopping us but us ourselves. And when we decide to return home, before we even get there, there's God waiting, running out to meet us. And when we fall on our faces and we say, God, I have sinned against you. Please, please just let me live in your kingdom as a slave. We are declaring our allegiance to God's kingdom once again. And the beautiful thing is that God doesn't say, come on, peasant, there's room for you in the servants' quarters. God says, get the finest robe. Put it on them. Put, put a ring on their finger. Put some sandals on their feet. 
Kill the fatted calf. Let us eat and let us celebrate. For this child of mine, this child was dead and is now alive. They were lost and now they are found. Let's celebrate. Because I am for you, my child. I am for you. I have never, ever been against you. So welcome home. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Thank you that you make us new, that and when we wander, you make it as if, just as if we never did. And we thank you that when we were lost, you found us. We thank you that when we continue to find ourselves lost, that you always welcome us home. So God, transform our hearts. Help us to not become lost ever again. Help us to not wander, but remind us of your deep love. That when we do, you're not just calling us home, but you're running to meet us. You're running to, to celebrate us. God, that you are celebrating the fact that we, your people, have heard your cry, have reached out and grabbed your hand and walked back into your home. So God, help us to be the hands and feet that call and show others the way to get to you. God, continue to bless the ministries of this church that show people that they're not alone. That we are with them. And that we are with them because God is with us and that God is with them as well. That you are waiting with open arms. So we love you, and it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.